talking about navigating life and the book of Job and the, looking at the wisdom literature. So Job is a story about a man of incredible suffering and his three friends that try to give him advice. And then this fourth Yahoo guy who is trying to help, but he's not, he's like one of those friends that's not helpful. It's like, would you not talk because you're not helping? And of course, God and the rest of the crew in the book of Job. And the book of Job um, goes back to, it was written in 7 AD. We don't know exactly who wrote it, but Job was considered to have lived during the time of Noah and Abraham, during the patriarchs. And, but he's, his story is not written in the first five books of the Old Testament or in the books of history in Samuel's Kings or Chronicles. And so the story of Job and his endurance, his great endurance, was passed on through oral tradition for years and years and years until finally someone decided, you know what? We need to write this down. And the way they wrote it down was in the form of poetry in the form of wisdom literature. And when you read Job, the first two chapters and the last chapter kind of seem like a historical story, but really it's written in the idea of, of like theater, of like drama or, or Shakespeare. And so it's, it's written in poetry. Um, so if you kind of think of it like this, this is a picture of my sweet son in his last uh, performance. So if you think of it like a production or a theater where you're a production where you're kind of seeing everything going on but the person who's experiencing it doesn't know what's going on that's kind of what's happening in job we get to see job and his story but we get to see all the other stuff going on in the show so instead of like this it's more like that <laughs> with job so so that's the idea there of job uh, this morning i want to introduce you to a really neat organization called the bible project and this is a small animation studio that's a nonprofit, and their whole existence is to help people experience the story of God's word and to anywhere and everywhere that they can get it. And so what they do is they create little synopses of different sections of the Bible and all about the Bible. I'd encourage you to go to their website later on, thebibleproject.org. Great stuff. And they produce a really great summary of Job that really gives a very quick and much more entertaining version of Job than me telling it to you. So, check out the screens. So, Job begins with a strange story that takes place up in the heavens, which are described something like a heavenly command center. So God is there with these angelic creatures called the sons of God, and they're all there reporting for duty. And God points out this guy Job, his servant, showing how righteous and good he is. And then one of these angelic creatures approaches. He's referred to in Hebrew as the Satan. The Satan? Who is this? Well, this word is actually a title, which literally means the one who is opposed. So out of this whole crew, he is the one questioning how God is running the world. And he proposes that Job might not actually love God, that he's only a good person because God rewards him. If God were to take away all of the good things he gave to Job, then we would see his true colors. So he thinks Job is just working the system? That's exactly right. Maybe he's obeying just to get what he wants. So God agrees to this experiment and allows the Satan to inflict suffering on Job. And Job loses everyone and everything that he cares about. It is 
devastating. And remember, he deserves none of this. God himself said so. The remarkable thing is that in the midst of all this suffering, Job still praises God. At least for chapters one and two. But then in chapter three, we find out how he's really feeling inside. He unleashes this poem that reveals his devastation. It's a long, elaborate curse on the day that he was born. After this, some of Job's friends come to visit him to offer their help. And all of them are like, Job, you must have done something horribly wrong to deserve this. After all, we know God is just, and we know the world is ordered by God's justice and fairness, so you must be getting what you deserve. And for the next 34 chapters, the friends and Job go back and forth in very dense Hebrew poetry. His friends keep speculating about why God might have sent such suffering, and they even start making up lists of hypothetical sins that Job must have committed. But after each accusation, Job defends his innocence. And Job is innocent. He is. He's also on an emotional roller coaster. At some moments, he's very confident that God is still wise and just. Yeah, in other moments, he's doubting God's goodness. He even comes to accuse God of being reckless, unfair, and corrupt. So by the end of the dialogue, Job demands that God come and explain himself in person. And God does so. <laughs> yeah, and God does so. So finally, after 37 chapters, God goes, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer all that you're saying. I love what Tim Keller says. He describes it as this, this idea that Job expects an explanation from God. His friends expect condemnation, but God gives neither. That's what I love about God. The second you think you have God figured out, he slips right out of your hands. And so the scripture says that God says to Job, brace yourself like a man. You can imagine what that must have felt like, and it's really neat. In the Hebrew text, the way it's translated, if you get to the original text, you can tell that that's exactly the point when Job wets himself, because you can imagine what it was like to stand there and have God say, brace yourself like a man. You'd be like, um, no, it's cool. It's good. You don't need to explain anything. But God does. In the first two chapters, God says all kinds of stuff. And the writer of Job uses this incredible poetry to kind of explain God's grandness and his greatness. Check it out. Job 38, he writes God saying, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. And so God does this for two chapters, and finally Job answers exactly what you and I would answer. Job says this, then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. <laughs> How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Which I'm sure for you parents, this is what your children say all the time. After you're arguing, right, you've proved them wrong, they're like, I have said too much already. I am so sorry. I have nothing more to say. No, of course not, right? So you think that'd be the end, but no. God goes on for two more chapters telling Job exactly how incredible 
He is. And then Job says, I really, I got nothing to say. I'm really sorry. And then God rewards Job, but not before taking a moment to talk to Larry, Curly, and Mo, (coughs) his three friends, right? And God says to him, what you guys were saying was not right. What Job was saying was right. And you had better make some sacrifices and and ask Job to pray for you, and then I will forgive you for your wickedness. And then I kind of feel bad for those guys, right? Because they were just going off on what they knew. They're just like, well, all we knew is that you reward the good and you, you punish the bad. Like, it would never cross our mind that you would punish the good. Like, I know you're hacked off at us, but, like, we were defending you. <laughs> so I feel bad for him with that. So the book of Job, what is it about? Well, the biggest question that comes out is why do bad things happen to good people? You know, why, why have I been given the prognosis of, of cancer? Why was I abused? Why did my mom die of ALS? Why are my parents forcing me to move when I finally have my best friend? Why am I having to file for bankruptcy? If God is so good and so loving, why did he take away my dad or my grandmother or my child? If God is so good, why is my child, why, was they, why were they born with this condition? If God, if you're so good, how come I'm going to church and I'm tithing money and yet my ex seems to have the best life ever? They're posting on Facebook and Instagram all the time. And now they want, they're filing for, uh, to have all of our kids. Like, what's going on, God? I don't get it. Why was I, why was I born with these sexual desires that seem so out of control? Why was I created like this? God, why do I keep getting bullied? How come I don't have any friends? Well, if you were to take the book of Job literally, what you would think is that, well, God must be testing you because that's what he did to Job. Only, that's not the point of Job. Like, the point of Job is not that the reason why bad things happen to good people is because God is testing you or that God's preparing you for something. That's not what it was. In fact, Job was never tested by God. Look at Job 1, verse 12. All right, you may test him, the Lord said. Do whatever you want with him, everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. It wasn't God who was testing Job. So maybe the next time you have a friend that you're trying to comfort, maybe don't tell them that God is testing them, like, because he's not. And maybe not saying to them that God is preparing you for something in the future, like, we don't know that. We don't have any idea about that. Job didn't have any idea about that. And like telling someone, God will never give you more than you can handle. Really? Because if I can handle it, why do I need God? The fact is, God gives us more than we can handle all the time. So let's just commit to not saying that. Instead, be real and say, I am so sorry. This is so hard. I am with you for the duration of this. Well, if Job isn't answering the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, what is Job about? Well, Job really is a guidebook on how to handle suffering. And if you're a note taker in your notes, this morning, that's the first blank there. Job is a guidebook on how to handle suffering. I love this quote by Warren Wearsby. He says, we do not live by explanations. This is us Christians. We do not live by explanations. We live by promises. We never find out everything. 
The book of Job shows us how the righteous should suffer. We don't live by explanations. We live by faith and trusting that God is just, that God is bigger than us, that he knows way more than we ever could understand and trusting in him. And that's not easy. It wasn't easy for Job. And so what did Job do? Well, the first thing he did is that Job was real with God with his suffering. And so I want to encourage you, when you're suffering, be real with your suffering. Often I hear people say that they love the Psalms because the Psalms, you know, they give words to their feelings and emotions and expressions. Well, the next time you are angry at God or suffering, I want to encourage you to read Job because he does that exact same thing. This is just from one chapter in Job. These are the kinds of things that he said to God. I will say to God, this is, you know, if I, if I see God, this is what I'm going to say to him, don't simply condemn me. Tell me the charge you're bringing against me. Now remember, Job hasn't done anything. So he's just being real with God. What do you gain by oppressing me? Why do you reject me, the work of your own hands, while smiling on the schemes of the wicked? You formed me with your own hands. You made me. Yet now you completely destroy me? You gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. Yet your real motive, your true intent, was to watch me. And if I sinned, you would not forgive my guilt. Why then did you deliver me from my mother's womb? Why didn't you let me die at birth? Job is so real and so raw. I appreciate that. God's big enough for that. He's big enough to handle your complaints, your anger, your frustration. So be real with him. Be honest with him. He's big enough for it. The second thing I want to encourage you to do, not only to be real with your suffering, but to trust God through your suffering. To trust God through your suffering. You know, Job never gets an explanation about why all these bad things have happened. He never finds out. And you, we may not ever find out either until the day we are face-to-face with Jesus. And then at that point, honestly, I don't think we'll even care. I think we'll be so blown away by his glory and his love and his goodness that it won't matter. And Jesus is such a perfect example for us in suffering. He was called the suffering servant. I love how Hebrews talks about him. The writer of Hebrews says, Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. You know, Jesus was accused of a crime he didn't commit. He was found guilty. He was beaten, tortured, his back shredded, nailed hands and feet to a cross, where he had to lift up, put all the weight on that nail on the bottom just to breathe. And at one point, God completely turns his back on him. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus called out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know, in so many religions, they would never, and they never do, they never have the God never humbles himself and becomes a man, becomes a part of his creation because God is too big for that. Except for our God, he did. He sent Jesus and he experienced it all. I love how the message writes it. It says, we don't have a priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. 
And then the writer of Hebrews continues. He says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, where we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That's my encouragement for you, for you who are suffering. Go to the throne of our gracious God, and he will give you mercy and the grace that you need. But what does this mean for you? How do you really live this? How do you, how do you be real with God and hold on to Jesus through the suffering? I wish I could tell you. I am only 40, 42, 42 years old, and my life has been so easy. Like, literally, my suffering is putting on my pants in the morning and I'm trying to squeeze into them. Like, I have never experienced any kind of difficulty I don't feel like in my life. I don't feel like I could tell you anything about how to live it. But I have a friend who, who has journeyed down a road of suffering and has walked with others. And so I want to welcome uh, Kathy Patterson to the stage. Would you welcome her with me? All right. Kathy is a longtime member of the chapel, so many years. In fact, your pool was our first baptistry. Yeah, what a privilege that was. <laughs> we used to have picnics out there. Anybody here who remembers the Labor Day picnics? Ah, okay, good. Those were great fun. Well, Kathy works in our office and, and just as an encouragement and a blessing. And when I was... Uh, when I was asked to talk about the book of Job, I was like, well, what could I say? I know a little bit about Kathy's story. I was like, man, if I could have Kathy speak with her, she should just do the whole sermon. But she wouldn't do that. So she is allowing us to hear from her story. So Kathy, tell us a little bit about your journey through suffering. Well, first of all, let me say I'm no different than anybody else. There's lots of you out there who could be up here telling your stories. And I've definitely been blessed by God. Uh, there are days when I question that, obviously, but it started probably when I was the tender age of 13 and my father committed suicide. So I went through teenagerhood without a father and that definitely affected my life. Uh, but I continued on. My mom showed me just to kind of keep, keep on keeping on and hang on. And then good high school career, college, met the man who I was meant to marry, who God intended for me to be a life partner. I didn't recognize it at the time that God was involved. And that's what's kind of amazing, too, is that I know God was watching out for me even when I wasn't really acknowledging wow. his fatherhood. Uh, Dan and I proceeded. We had a great marriage, four wonderful girls, good life. Uh, early in the 1990s, as our oldest was graduating from medical school, I began to have some health issues, actually a limp. And believe it or not, that led to the discovery that I had a brain tumor, a benign brain tumor, thank God. Okay, well, we're just going to leave it alone. It'll be fine. Life continued. In uh, 2001, Dan retired from Delta Airlines, and we both became very heavily involved here at the chapel and loved every minute of it. And um, we're going along okay, and then in 2004, Dan was diagnosed with gallbladder cancer and um, went through treatment, surgery, treatment. But six months later, it was back, and he went home to be with Jesus by November of 2005. So it was kind of quick, but kind of not. And um, I actually treasure those days when um, 
we, it was really um, a time of togetherness with her family. So there's, there was good in that, even, now that I look back on it. Um, after Dan died, all my girls, all four girls, were away from the home. So you might say I was alone, but I know I was not alone, ever. Began to experience some trouble with my vision, and this led us to discover that the brain tumor, which was nowhere near the optic nerve, by the way, uh, was acting up and it needed to be removed. So I'm off for brain surgery. Okay, no big deal. Actually, of all the surgeries I've had, I think that was probably the easiest. Uh, but I digress. Going along fine, and then the next thing was um, diagnosis of breast cancer. So I had a mastectomy, treatment, ready for chemo. The night before my very first chemo treatment, I received a call that my baby, my youngest daughter, had had a seizure, and she had a brain tumor, which was not benign. So we went through chemo together. Uh, shared our hats and our wigs and fun things like that. And um, I went through treatment and was clean those that five years, that magic five years, when um, a pain in my arm this time, never did really figure out what that was, but because I, I landed in the ER and they found out that the breast cancer had metastasized. So now I have metastatic breast cancer. It started out in my spine. And of course, metastatic breast cancer is not medically curable, but it is controllable. And besides which, I serve a God who doesn't believe in such limitations. Amen. And he could heal me any time if he wants to. And I give him that permission, by the way. Please, Lord. Uh, so I continue uh, in treatment. In fact, recent tests have shown that it's been spreading to uh, a couple of the other organs. So we've stepped up the chemo. And we'll see what God has in store for us. Uh, my daughter, by the way, is fine. She still has the brain tumor. It's inoperable. But she's stable. Hasn't had a seizure now for a year and a half. Wow. And she and her family are doing very, very well. Wow. God is good. Yeah, amen. It sure doesn't seem like that, though. It doesn't <laughs> seem like he's very good. It seems like you have been through so much. There has to have been times when you felt like Job and you're angry at God. Oh, Absolutely. You go through some stages, uh, you get mad, and you shake your fist at God and say, couldn't there have been another way that you could have drawn me closer to you, that you could have taught me? Well, why this? Um, sad, of course you're sad. You're, you're lonely, um, you miss that companionship of your best friend, because I was married to my best friend. And uh, so you're sad, mad, but by this time, it's been 13, almost 14 years, uh, since Dan died, um, I'm to the glad stage. Mm -hmm. Glad, you say, how could you possibly be glad? Glad for the memories that I have, for the experiences that we did have. <clears throat> Not everybody has a good marriage and a wonderful family like I did. Uh, when I think of all the things that could have gone wrong, I'm like, wow, why was I so blessed yeah. to have such a good life? Maybe not so glad when you're having to rake all the leaves. We're going to have to rake the leaves, yes. All these trees that Dan planted. And now I'm the one that who has to lot, clean Dan. up after them. <laughs> well, for, for those of us who are suffering, um, what's one thing you could tell us about how do we be real with God and yet hold on to him, trusting that he's going to take care of everything? Well, you do have to be real with him. He doesn't want the fake. 
and uh, don't put on airs with him. You may come to church when people say, oh, how are you? And you just kind of say, oh, I'm good. Uh, but there are those that you need to be really honest with. Um, I like to rehearse my blessings. And I will encourage anyone to do this. Think of the times when God has blessed you, whether it's as simple as a parking spot that you prayed for, a close-up parking spot, or if it's at a time when you know without a doubt that he was there and he protected you from physical harm or whatever it would be. Write those down if you need to so that you can rehearse those. Go back to those promises of God. I have a quote from Spurgeon on my desk, and it says that all uh, depressing circumstances lose their power for evil when your faith grabs onto the promises of God. Mm. When I look back, when I read the Bible, cover to cover, it's a love story of how God, how much he loves us, and how much he wants to draw us back to him. And with the great lengths that he went to, some of those were not real pleasant yeah. for the Israelites or the early Jewish people. They were not real pleasant experiences. But he used them, yeah. and he can use that in me. I'm not being tested. I'm not being punished. But I am being given the chance to really trust in him. Uh, I know a friend thing didn't work out real well for Job, but I would say that my church family has been wonderful. Um, part of a group of ladies now, a, a widow's group, and tremendous support there. And just people who will either have been where I've been or just are willing to listen and help come alongside and carry your burden. So rely on friends, rely on your church family, but most of all, just hang on to God. He's there. Read his word. See what he's done. And how, how can you deny that when you see all the good that he's done? Amen. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank, Thank you, you for sharing that with us. So the book of Job, what is Job about? Job, the book of Job is about God's faithfulness. Uh, it's about Job's faithfulness, of course. You know, he was sinless. He, he suffered, and he never sinned throughout it all. He remained faithful to God. And then again, God's great faithfulness in him. The ending of Job is this. Check it out in Job 2, 42, verse 12. It says, So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man who had lived a long, full life. God is faithful. And the last thing about Job is he encourages us on how to suffer. And so one thing to say to you again is be real and hold on to Jesus. Kathy, would you pray for us? Would you enter service Absolutely. to pray for us? Thank you so much. Great. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that you left us this guidebook as it would be that we can look and see how you loved us. And it's for us. It's meant for each and every one of us, and it's a personal letter to us. We thank you for this church, for our pastors, for the wonderful times that we can praise you. And we do, Lord, praise you in all things. Perhaps not for all things, but we will praise you in all things as we continue to go forth and we serve you. And we love you, Jesus. And we thank you. We just ask your blessing on this week as we go forward to serve you in this world. 
and she's a snake.